you know, when I, as I began the message here, you know, I was thinking about, you know, when something is, when you have something that's brand new, how many of you ever had something that you bought that was brand new? Maybe a boat, a house, um, a car. I was thinking back, back, back to my first time that I owned a car, and this is going to date me a little bit, and for those of y'all who are young, I apologize, but I have to say this. Um, my first car was a 1984 Pontiac Sunbird. And um, I, had, I, was, uh, um, I had just graduated from high school in 1983, and it was 1984, and I saved a lot of money. I was working when I was like 14 years old at an electrical supply shop in, in Chalmette, and um, I had saved just a ton of money. I was just saving all my money. I was still living at home, so I could just save a bunch of money. And um, so I, mean, I wanted a car. I mean, I, that was my dream, was like to have my own car. And for those of y'all who know Veterans Boulevard, uh, Parati Pontiac used to be right there on Veterans. You take the uh, Clearview exit, I think he went back to it, Cleary, if I remember. It was right there on Vets. It's still there. It's another dealership now, I think. But anyway, the car was, um, they had, it was one of those cars where it was in the front, like, like kind of like on a cement thing where they had it like sitting like a model kind of thing. I was like, man, I just can't believe this could actually be my car. And so anyway, um, I, I remember I got the car, and it, it, ended up, it ended up being kind of like a dud a little bit. It had a lot of issues with it. It was a new model with some of the, some of the designs and all that they had that kind of stuff, but it was mine, and, I, and it was brand new, and I loved that car. And I remember the place that I was working at in Chalmette, the parking lot was right, right in front of the building, and we had this glass, these, this glass windows right there. And I just remember when I was like walking around the front doing my stocking or whatever I was doing in the front, I would just sit at the window and I would stare at my car. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's mine. That's my, I, I, I own that car. And Uriah's probably back there like, he's like, you know what I'm talking about, right, Uriah? And, and it's all right, Uriah, to be like that. You can be proud of that. You worked and you invested and you did all those things and all that kind of stuff. And it was, and it was, and it was brand new. But, you know, after a while, the newness wore off. And it was, you know, it probably got its first scratch. I mean, I used to, I mean, I kept that thing I'm talking immaculate. I mean, we, we had friends of mine that we were in high school with. I had a friend, a friend of mine. He had a, a um, it was a Ford Escort. And we, on Saturdays, we, we used to hand wash our cars. Like, we had all the stuff at the house. <laughs> Washed all our cars, and his name was um, Mark. And he had the Amaral. That's when Amaral was, like, really kind of just coming, coming alive. And, and Mark had the vinyl seats. And he used to, he used to open up the hood, and he would Amaral the hoses in his engine. I mean, you could eat off of the engine, and, and it, was, it wasn't a, it was just a two-door, I think it was a, maybe a four-door, two-door uh, Ford Escort. It wasn't that fancy, but, but he put so much Amberall on those vinyl seats. We, we would drive from Chalmette, we would go to like the movie, he would take a turn and you'd go sliding all the way to the other side of the door, because it was so clean. I'm talking spotless. And, um, and I remember when I was, like if I, was, if I had a date or whatever, I would get the car all clean, and then I was, I, I was thinking, as I got older, I, began, I realized, that, you know, because I thought that was like a big way to impress you girls, like get the car all clean. And I don't think they really cared that much about the car. I mean, I cared probably more than they did, I guess. But, um, but anyway, it was, it was something new. And like everything else, it got old. I mean, it, it, it got scratched. It got all those things. And, um, you know, when, when something is new in our lives, it consumes us. Like we, we think about those things. And all of us here, I think, have a moment or a place in our life where we've had something, maybe your first house, your boat, whatever, um, you're just like, man, it was just, it was so, you know, you really treasured that thing, and it was, it was, it was something that was new. And, um, but we can also have that um, thing in our, with our possessions and our vocations and our relationships. 
Those things can be new at first as well, and we can, we can be consumed with those things. But what can happen with us with something that is new, the danger is, is that the newness wears off. It's not the, the excitement of what drew us to what that thing was, whether it was a relationship or maybe our first job or our car or whatever it was, that newness wears off and all of a sudden it's not as exciting as it used to be. It becomes mundane, it becomes predictable, it just becomes average and it's not, it's not, it's not as exciting. And unfortunately the same can be true for us in the spiritual, you know, we can get we can get excited for God when we first meet the Lord. We, we get excited for the things of God, the, the things in our, in our lives that he's doing, the things in our church. And, um, but if we're not careful, that newness, that new feeling that we had for, for our relationship with the Lord, that can wear off just like it can with the, with the purchase of a new car or anything else that we have in, in our lives. And um, Deuteronomy 6.5 the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And, you know, if you read the Bible, it's very clear to me that God wants first place in our lives. He doesn't want second place. He doesn't want fifth place. He doesn't want third place. God wants to be first. He wants our attention and our devotion for him to be at the top of our list of priorities in our lives. And so today's message I titled Returning to My First Love, Returning to My First Love. And, and um, as I continue this message, and I'm going to read the passage in a moment that I have, um, and I, I hope I share this a lot when I, when I preach, that I don't want to ever come across with a message where, I'm, where you take it like, well, he's condemning me, because the word doesn't condemn us. The, the, the devil condemns us, but the Christ does not condemn us. So... I don't want it to ever appear like, like, like I'm judging you or I'm condemning you. Now, if I speak something to you and it convicts you, well, then that's, that's probably the goal. That's really what we want. We want the Holy Spirit to challenge us and to, to convict us. But, but if I pick a passage or I speak a message, it doesn't necessarily mean that I believe that this is like the, the, the heart or the focus or the place where this church is, if you follow what I'm saying. Um, but it's the truth. It's what the Word of God says. And as a, as a minister and as a pastor, I'm obligated to share the truth of what the Word of God says. Um, but I believe even when you read the Bible, when there's correction, I believe there's encouragement in that. Because the Bible says that, that, that the Lord loves us like a father loves his son. And what does the Bible say? How do we prove that we love our children? We discipline them. We, we correct. If we didn't love them, we'd be like, well, I don't care. Go run across the street and get hit by a car. I don't, I don't care about you. But no, we love them. We, we protect them. We, we, we do all the things we can to keep them from danger and keep them, keep them from harm. So, but I want really this message to be a wake-up call in some ways a reminding to, to, of breaking loose from the things that can rob us of our zeal and of our passion. And um, because there, there are things that can do that, you know, that, you know, just like anything else, like I said, in our life, that we have. And, you know, if you read the Bible, Christ did not come into our lives to make us miserable. You know, some people think that's, some people really think that they don't want to get saved because they feel like that they're going to be the most miserable person in the world. Well, they don't understand you're going to be the most blessed person in the world. You know, I, I would trade sin for Christ any day. Sin's where all the misery's at. That's where all the, you know, the, 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 the misery's at. So, 
But that's the deception and the lie of the devil that, that he tells us that. But, but he came to satisfy the longing and desires of our hearts to show us the true meaning of life comes only when we are truly in love with him. That's, that's really what really will satisfy us is when we love Christ more than anything, even our spouse, even our children. I mean, parents found that hard to believe, but Christ said that, that, that to, to love me first, to, 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 to place me first above, above all else. Jesus even said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, and so there's a lot of emphasis that the Bible puts on first, Seek first, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of those things. So, so really, that's our, that's our wake-up call is the, um, you know, the world and your flesh are competing for the devotion of our love for Christ. There's a competition. Y'all, y'all have heard me say that, that, um, you know, as soon as you step out and say, I'm going to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord, then all of a sudden the, war, the battle begins. There's a warfare. And, and it's the two main enemies. Well, there's three of them. It's the devil, the world, and your flesh. They, they're all opposed to Christ. And just, just as the Bible says, we're, we're living in an anti-Christ world. What does that mean? The, the spirit that's in the world is against the spirit of Christ. It's against the truth of what the Word of God says. So when you feel like, man, it's hard for me to get up and love the Lord and serve God and do all these things, why is it so, sometimes it's just a struggle because it's a spiritual battle. That's why. There's a, there's a warfare going on in the heavenly realms, the Bible says, that is trying to push us and suppress us from doing the things that, that, that the Lord commands us and teaches us to do. So, um, so but we have to be um, aware and alert of these things that are, happen, that are happening in our lives. Otherwise, we will lose our passion and our zeal for the Lord. And um, so we're going to look at and the book of Revelation this morning, and um, Revelation chapter 2 and 3 records the seven letters written to the seven churches, and this is just a side note for me to say this, and I think I probably say this every time I preach from the book of Revelation. You know, what's the first thing that we associate the book of Revelation with when we think of Revelation? The end times, the second coming, all those, all the, all those things. But really, if you, look, if you look at the book of Revelation, the, um, the very first verse in Revelation 1-1 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that tells me that the book of Revelation was, was for what? Was to reveal to us more of who Christ was. Yes, it is about the end times. It's about all those different things. But that's not why the book was written. So if you just approach the book because you're all excited about end time events, I think you've really missed what it was that the Bible has the book of Revelation in there for. It's to reveal to us who Jesus Christ is. And really, the entire Bible, and I've said this before, if you read from Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible is written to reveal to us Jesus Christ. So what does that tell us? That everything is about him. It all points to Christ. Not a man, not a religion, not a religious system, all those. It's all about Jesus Christ. So I just think that's, that's extremely important for us to get that when we, when we study or when we look at the book of Revelation. But, but we're going to look at the first letter that was written to the church in Ephesus here. And when you read these letters, the there's, there's, there's seven letters in the, the uh, churches that they were written to, they were real churches. They, they really existed. 
So when you read the book of Revelation, you can get the notion that that letter was just written for that church. And then the other letters were written for that church. But really, if you study the scriptures and the way this was written, it, those seven letters that were written to the churches represent the entire church, our church, the church age, if you will. So it's something, in other words, when you read that, it's something that you have to say, well, uh, that wasn't just written to that church, it was written to me, because I'm part of the church. I'm part of the church of Jesus Christ. So, so it's important for us to get that, just like when you read the letters that Paul wrote, when Paul wrote to the Philippians and Galatians and, and Ephesians and all of that, is you don't just say, well, ha-ha, look, he, he was writing to them, and look how bad they were. No, that was to the church. That's a, there was, it was written to us as Christians, the believers. So does that make sense? You'll, you'll get that. So, but I wanted to put this up here, if Ruby wants to put that next slide up. And I, I came across this when I was studying for this, and it really makes a lot of sense for what we're doing it says the seven churches must be representative of other churches. The characteristics that are found in these churches must be the same kind of characteristics that are found in other churches. Each of these churches must represent a certain type or kind of church. In speaking to the seven churches, Jesus Christ expects every church to identify itself and to heed the exhortation given to each. He wants all followers to heed the truth of Revelation Therefore, he has selected seven churches that are representative of all the churches. So I believe that that kind of summarizes what I'm trying to say, that, that, this, that this, the picture that was given with the seven was really a picture that was, was, represents all the churches. So in, in, in each of the letters, there's, there's correction, there's exhortation, there's, there's, there's encouragement, all those different things. So we have to receive each one that was taken as what, it, what is it, that God is communicating to me. You see, what, what is he speaking to me? So um, I wasn't going to do this, but I might do it. I might take the other six and do a series on this and just kind of preach out of every letter because there's really something that we should all be able to, to glean from and to learn from from every one of these, every one of these letters that, um, that, that was written to us. So, um, so let's look at this one here, Revelation chapter 2. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has, ear, let him, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And, um, you know, when we read this passage and you read anything in the Bible, it's imperative for us to understand this is truth. This is the truth. It's not because I'm up here speaking this to you. The word, the word is true. Everything that the Bible says speaks truth to us. Whether you agree with it, you don't understand it, you don't believe it, 
it doesn't change the fact that it's truth. Okay, so that, that's important for us to get this. But um, this letter and all the, all the seven letters here in Revelation, these were spoken to us by Jesus himself. John, the, this is the uh, Apostle John, the disciple John was, was exiled to the island of Patmos and he had gotten a vision from God of the book of Revelation. What, what a vision, the, the, the things that this man received from that. But Jesus is speaking to him here. And if you read, if your Bible has the red letters of Christ, you'll notice in Revelation and every one of the seven letters, it's written in red. So what, what I find interesting about this, this is really the first words that are recorded to us after Christ was ascended to heaven. All the other words that were recorded to us, he was walking among us, you know, physically walking among us. But this is a revelation that John had received from Christ after he was ascended. Um, so, um, but he's, Jesus is speaking to the church. He's, he's, he's warning the church, but I believe he's also, he's encouraging the church. And most of all, Christ is demonstrating his concern and his care for the church. That this was like at the top of his mind, was, was like us, was like the church. And in Revelation 2, 1, I don't have this on the screen, it's, um, it, it says, um, it says, these are the words of him, well, this is, um, yeah, these are words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand and walk among the seven golden lampstands. Christ, the, and this is another thing to glean from the book of Revelation, the first thing that Christ speaks about is what? Is the church. In other words, we talk, like I said, we're talking about end times and all those kind of things, but Jesus is concerned about his church. He loves his church. He died for his church, the Bible says. He built his church. He, 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 he was the, the author of the church, the Bible says. So, so that should give us encouragement right there that Christ on his mind, the first thing on his mind when he gave this revelation to John was us, was his church and his, and, and his body. So, um, so let's, let's look at this here. Um, we know that the church is not an organization. It's not a denomination. It's not a building. This, you know, we, a lot of times we say, you know, where do you go to church? Well, we always mention the, the building and the address and the name, but really, that's not, we are the church. We don't go to church, you are the church. We meet, we meet at this address, we meet at this building, but really, um, everywhere the church gathers, that's the church. Like, so are small groups. When you meet in a life group, that's a church. The Bible says in the book of Acts, they met from house to house. That, that was the church. That was the inception, the beginning of the, of the church. It wasn't about a building and, and elaborate statues and carvings and all those kind of things. It's not wrong to, to do those things. We want to honor God with a nice, clean you know, facility that, that honors God, but it really has nothing to do with the physical building. We're the church. Those of us who are sitting in this room this morning, we've gathered here as the church. So in this letter... I believe we find three things that Christ gives the church. We find affirmation, correction, and instruction. And so let's look at the first one. Let's look at the affirmation in verse 2 and 3. It says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So the first thing is Christ affirmed them for the many good deeds that, that they were doing, and that's a, that's a good thing. And really, 
you know, this was one of the things if you study child psychology and raising kids and all, they always tell you, and I, I probably didn't do a good job with this when our kids were little, but they always tell you before you correct a child, what do you do first? You affirm them. You, you tell them something, give them something positive first, and then you whack them upside the head or upside the butt or whatever you're going to do. That, that way they know that when you do it, you love them. I, I really loved you when I did this. But it's coming. You get to get what you deserved. But Christ affirmed. And it, everything that he said here about the church was, was good things. It was things that I, I would hope that he would speak about this church, that if this letter was written to the Tabernacle Church in Covington, that these are the things that he was said. So look, look at the five things that he commends them for. He says that they worked and they labored. They were working and laboring for God. And that, that's, a, that's a good thing. We, we do those things in this church. We, we have our small groups. We, we do those, um, those uh, neighborhood outreach things. We, you know, there's a lot of things that, that this church does. Not, I don't believe too many things, but we, we labor. We, we do things where we work and we labor uh, for, for the Lord. And um, they were busy. And uh, so... Um, you know, a lot of churches, though, they're, they're, busy, they're busy doing the things, but they forget why they're doing the things, but they, they're busy. And um, then it says that they were persevering. That's something I want Jesus to be able to tell me. You, you persevered. You, you, went, you, str- you, you struggled. You, you faced adversity, but you, you pressed in, you pressed on, and you, you kept fighting. He said they remained, uh, they remained steadfast even through hardship they endured. It says they did not tolerate uh, sinful people, so they, they hated wickedness, you know, and I think this is something really strong that Christ points out to them, that they, they, they despise wickedness, you know, and, and, and that's something that's lacking in a lot of churches today, that there's a lot of compromise in churches, and they're they watering down what the Word of God says, and, and a lot of times it's like, well, I don't find that, I don't see that in the Bible. They stood true and fast to what the Word of God said. They didn't compromise um, the sinful people. And it says they tested preachers and teachers. They didn't tolerate false teachers. And that, that's something important for you to do as a believer. Not just for me as a pastor, but, but you know, I mentioned the social media and all these blogs and Facebook and all this kind of stuff. And everybody gets up there and they got a, you know, they probably got an address and a name and a blog and a Facebook. And it's like, well, he's got his name up there and he's got a show he does every week. And I, I guess whatever he's saying has got to be true. Not necessarily. It could be true, but just because he's got a blog and he says he loves Jesus and he's speaking the word, you've got to test him. You've got you to go back and check and see what it is. They did this. They were, they were testing, and then it says they did it. They, they worked with diligence and faithfulness, and, and they were enduring, and they, they were loyal. So, so when you get to this point of the letter, you're like, well, what's the problem? You know, Jesus is just building up the church. He's commending the church. He's giving this whole list of things that that the church is, is doing. And, um, but see, the Christian life can go through these same stages. I mean, we can go through one stage when we ask the question, and I've done this before in my heart, is why do I do what I do for the Lord? Was, why do I do what I do? Why, why did I come to church this morning? Why, 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 do, why do I do those things? And sometimes if we're not careful, those things can just become uh, a ritual. They can just become repetition. They just become automatic almost. And you gotta, sometimes you've got to back up for a moment and ask yourself, why, why, do, why do I do these things? And I believe that's part of what it is that Christ was saying here to, to, to this church. You know, God is asking, what is our, what is our motivation? What, why do I worship him? You know, what, 
is the core and root of my life as a believer. So after he commended the church so wonderfully, then here comes that word that we all hate, but. You know, have you ever, ever had a boss come take you into his office and he says all these nice things about you and he says, but. Well, you knew that's why he called you into the office. He didn't call you into the office to tell you how good of a worker you was. He called you into the office to tell you you're doing something wrong. You know, so Jesus here, he builds up, then he, then he says, he didn't say the word, but he had the word yet here in Revelation 2, 4. After he read all those things, he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. So here is the correction that Christ gives. It says, you have left your first love. And um, so Jesus is commending them, but the commending was what, um, what they believed was, more, was most important and right but he exposed their deception that they were putting their priority in what, what was not his priority. In other words, they were, more, they were more in love with the things than they were in love with Christ. And, and, and that, that was so, that word left in the Greek, the word left in the Greek means to leave or to forsake or to depart or to depart from something. It's not a, it's not a lost love. Notice Christ never told them, you, you abandoned me as, as you walked away from me. In other words, he never said, you, you, you disowned me, you denied me, you, you, you cursed me. He never said that, but he said, you've, you've left your, your first love. In other words, and so when I look at that, it's like Christ is telling them that you no longer have the passion and the zeal that you once had for me. It's, it's not there. It was there at one point because Christ says, I hold this, you have forsaken the love you had at first. So that goes back to me to the analogy of the car that I was telling you about. That you, you, it's something that you had that was new. It was exciting. It was something you never experienced before, and you were all excited about that. Well, the same thing can happen to us with our relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is why it's so important for us to stay connected as a body, not only to the Word of God, but to each other. Because why? We need, we need each other to spur one another along, to, to build one another up, to encourage one another, to keep the fire burning. Like, like Pastor Troy, we, like we need someone like that to come into this building and kind of light a fire, so to speak, underneath us. And say, look, this is the zeal that you can have. This is the, this is the enthusiasm that you can have. It, it can still burn bright. And so Jesus was telling them that you have left, you have left your, your first love and so that tells what they were doing, the mechanics. They were doing the mechanics of Christ, but it wasn't with a love and devotion for Christ, if you follow what I'm saying. And, and I think all of us, including myself, we can, we can do the things for God. We can even read our Bibles and do these things, but if we're not careful, they, they just become religious things that we're doing, and it's not really like, Jesus, I love you. Like my devotion for him, my, my love for Jesus Christ, my, my enthusiasm for Christ. And um, they lost the fervor. They, they lost the, the reason why they were doing all the good things Christ commended them for. And so put this up on the next slide there, Ruby. Christ is more concerned about what we do with him than for him. The only, he, he's more concerned about how much we love him than the things we do for him. And, and that takes a lot of time spending with Christ, to really develop a relationship with Jesus Christ where it's more than just the things we do, it's the relationship with him, to, to love him. And, and as, a, as a son and a father, that relationship that the Bible, that the Bible gives us with, um, with, with our Heavenly Father. So 
Nothing or no one can become a substitute for our love and devotion for Jesus. That we, we cannot allow those things to creep in. And all of us, you know, we have, we have so many things that compete with our devotion. And we all have to check ourselves and find out, is, am I getting more excited about something else more than Christ? You know, has the newness worn off? Or, you know, was I so in love with Jesus and now I'm like, well, yeah, I'm still coming to church and I'm still whatever, but am I, is that newness that I had when I first met Jesus, has it waned a little bit? Has it waxed? Has it, has it grown dim? Is it not there anymore? And I think that's what it is that Jesus is speaking to his church, that you've, you've forsaken the love you had at first. You know, and Christ wants us to go back back to that first love. And the Greek word for first is protos, which means foremost or best or paramount or supreme or number one. In other words, is Jesus paramount in your life? Is your love for him supreme? You know, and like I said, I mean, we're all, you know, when we're listening to that question, we're all processing things that we, that we love. You know, our family, and that's a good thing. You love your children, you love your spouse, but Jesus is saying, I want to be paramount even in that area of your life. Whatever it is that, that, that's in your life, Jesus Christ, he wants first place. So is it possible to do the good works of Jesus and not know him? You know, do you, do you think it's possible to do works for Christ and not really know him? It is. Now, that's, that's a scary thought to, to, to contemplate that and to think that that could be true, but, but it is true. And the, uh, the Bible addresses this in other places besides the book of Revelation. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So Jesus is saying it's actually possible to demonstrate these things, which casting out demons and all these things that Christ is saying, they're good things. But Jesus is saying it's actually possible to have that in your life, and Jesus will look at you and say, I never knew you. I don't want that said about me. i got to find a place in my life as a Christian to get beyond the, the things and fall in love with the man, with Jesus. Like, just love on Jesus. Just, just love on Christ. Just What did Paul say? I want to know him. That's all Paul said. He goes, I want to know Christ. I want to know him more. I want to know and the power of his resurrection. Paul was consumed with knowing Jesus. Like, knowing who this man was. What, what motivated him? What made him function? What made him do what he did? Paul wanted to know Christ. And then, in 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible, Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can, so that I can, I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. That's a dangerous verse. That's a dangerous passage to read because there's even greater things in there than what Jesus said in Matthew. The 
gift of prophecy, to give all your, all your goods to the poor, to give yourself as a martyr. Christ said, you could even give yourself as a martyr and Christ, but have not love, it profits me nothing, the Bible says. So, so our love and our devotion for Christ is, is preeminent. It's, it's got to be it's got to be what consumes us. That's got to be what, what compels us. Like, so you've got to ask yourself, what is it that compels me as a Christian? What is it? It's got to be your love and your devotion for Jesus Christ. And, you know, Lori, Lori says that a lot. You know, she, when she's counseling and just sharing with people, just let's love Jesus. Just, just love Jesus more than anything else. Just, you know, you know, you're having issues in your life, relationships, whatever it is you're dealing with. Fall in love with Jesus. Go after him more than anything. And um, so that was the correction. Then Jesus gives the instruction in verse 5. It says, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand, lampstand from its place. So the next thing that Christ is telling us to do here is he's telling us to remember, to repent, and to repeat. And um, so think about this. Remember what? Remember the love that you first had for Jesus Christ. And, you know, I had to go back when I was studying for this in my life and remember what it was like when I first met the Lord. And I remember, I mean, the Bible consumed me. I, I was just like, I wanted to know the Bible. I wanted to know what the Word of God said. I wanted to go to church. I wanted to go to prayer. I, no matter what it was that was happening in the body, I was just like, I just want to be a part of that. I love Jesus. I, I, want, I want to get involved with that. And all of us in this room, we can think back. You should be able to look back if you're a Christian to that time when you first met Christ and how excited you were that you met the Lord and all the, the wonderful things that Jesus did for you. And then you have to ask yourself, are you still as madly in love with Christ today as you were then? Do you still love him as much? Do you, are you still as excited about the things of the Lord as you were back then? And I, I know for me, in, in some stages, in some places in my life, I'm not. I, I'm just being honest with you. It's, the, it's not the same, but I want that fervor. And so Jesus is saying, he's saying, remember. So a lot of times we say, forget the past, look to the future. But here's a place where Jesus is saying, remember. Why? Because those, those, that's a good thing to remember. The love that you first had for Christ when you first met him. The revelation he gave you, the understanding, the, 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 the acceptance, the forgiveness. You know, whatever it was that Jesus did in your life, he's saying to go back and, and go back and remember, remember those things that, that, that he had done for you. And then he's saying that, that to repent. So if there's something in your life that has crept in that, that you know is not of God, then what does the Bible say? Just repent. Just let go of it. You know, repentance, you just, you just turn away from it. It's like you're walking in one direction, you make a U-turn, and you walk away. So I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm turning away from that. that that's harming my relationship with Christ. That's, that's an impediment. That's something that's hindering me from, from developing a relationship with Jesus. And the Bible says we just we, we repent of those things. And then, um, then it says you repeat. And I, and I love that. He says to go back. He said to go back and do... Do the things, he says, um, repent and do the things you did at first. Some of y'all need to go back to when you first met Jesus and start doing those things. Like sometimes we get saved so long that we feel like that those things are almost too simple. Like I've, I've advanced so much as a Christian that that's like, that's like I'm not doing that anymore. And Christ is saying go back to that thing because that's where you love me the most. Find that place. Find that love. Find that 
that devotion, whatever it is. Again, for me, it was just like it was just like the Bible, and the and the Lord led me to the New Testament, and I was just enamored with Paul's letters. I just was like, because you know, when you read the Bible, it's sixty-six books, and if you read some of the bigger books, you can kind of get you know distracted because you're not going to finish it and all that. But I was just like, okay, you know, Philippians has four chapters, and Ephesians and Galatians, they're small books, but they're powerful. And I was just like, God, and I just I just was trying to consume myself with the Word of God and just falling in love with the Word. You know, maybe that was what it was for you. Maybe it was worship. You know, maybe it was Bible study, or I don't know what it was, but, but, but as a pastor, you know, my job is to observe and to sit back and to kind of watch our congregation. And, and I can tell you this as a pastor, and, and you know, when we, when we do something new in our church, and this is not... It's not talking negative against our church because this happens in any church and in any part of our lives. But when we do something new, there's an excitement for, the, for it. And, and, and that's, that's, that's good. And everybody gets excited and everybody comes. But eventually, and whatever that is, you know, for something we do every week or like life group or whatever it is, um, it's exciting because it's new and, it just ha- and it's something you've never done before and you get all excited about it. And all of a sudden, what happens? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to life group this week. I, I don't need to go. Well, why did you need to go when you first went, but you don't need to go now? Why, do I need to, why did I need to worship God so much when I need to worship God now? Why do I need to read my Bible so much when I first met Christ and I don't need to read the Bible now? See, that's the devil. That's deception. So we all have to find that place. What, you know, what is it? And Jesus said, repeat, go back. Go back to that place and do the things you once did. And ask God to give you a fresh fire. Because, you know, Lee and I talk about this. I mean, and, and Lee's real open and honest a lot of times. You know, sometimes, you know, you just get that blah, dead, um, just feeling of like, I don't, I, I, I mean, we're just being, I don't want to do anything for Christ. You just don't, you just don't feel that. And that's when we got to check ourselves and remember that it's not based on emotions. It's based on truth. I don't serve Christ out of my emotions. You know, if I don't feel like going to, to, to life group, well, I still go. Why? Because the Bible says don't forsake the assembly of, of, of gathering together with ourselves. We, 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 we fellowship, we gather, we, we encourage one another. So, so don't, don't base your Christian walk on your emotions. That's going to get you in trouble, and you'll, you'll, never, you'll, never, you'll never advance. You'll, you'll never mature. You, you have to base it on this is the truth of what the Word of God says. So do the things that you did at first. I don't know what that is for you. I know what that looks like for me. I remember that. I just was like, God just gave me, he just gave me that, that desire and that hunger to, to, to know the word of God. So praise God. I'm just going to ask Ray if y'all have a song, if y'all just want to start uh, playing the song in the background, it'll be fine. And um, so, you know, we, we can do a lot, of, a lot of good deeds, but, you know, this letter here, um, Jesus is, telling the church in Ephesus, you know, you've walked away from your first love. You know, you're doing all of these things, and they're, they're wonderful things, the Bible says. Um, and then um, Jesus ends this in verse 7. He says, Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And all of the letters in Revelation, Jesus said, Whoever has ears, let him hear. So what, what that's doing is he's adding emphasis to what he's saying. So was what, what is he saying when he says that? Pay attention. <laughs> what, what, like if you got ears and 
listen to what it is I'm telling you. And do, do, don't just listen. Put it into practice. Do, do this. Return. You know, that's what I believe God was saying. Is he wants us to return back to our first love. And, and that's where we're going to be the most satisfied. That's where we're going to be the most content. That's when we, when Jesus is like number one in our lives. Amen. Amen. You can stand to your feet, please.